Thank you so much, Pastor. Let me invite you to open your Bible tonight to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 22 in your Old Testament. 1 Chronicles, chapter 22, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. And, and what a blessing, a surprise for me as well to be here tonight. But I'm thankful for your pastor. Thank you for the kind invitation and welcome. And uh, what a joy it is to be at Berean Baptist Church only. You know, I walked in and saw the sign, pa 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 Pasta with the Pasta. And being a New England guy, nothing seemed out of the ordinary to me. That's just how they say it out there, you know. So, I mean, out there they don't have pastors, at least where, where I did in Connecticut, you kind of do. But once you get to Massachusetts or Maine or Vermont or one of those places, you, you have a pasta. So you have pasta with a pasta. So I like that. That's a great idea. And just seemed normal to me. But what a joy it is, and I'm grateful and thankful for your good testimony, your heart for people, and, and the desire to see the Word of God and the work of God go forward. You have your Bible tonight to the book of First Chronicles, and, and uh, we jump into a story that takes place at the end of David's life. For 40 years, he's been the king of Israel, and of course, there have been some wonderful days, and then there have been some awfully dark days, and, and, and I know it's awfully frustrating for people to come to the end of David's life and say, well, it wasn't when David was a young shepherd boy, and it wasn't when David was, was battling Goliath, but, but after the story of Bathsheba and after the story of his life, that's when God put the epitaph on him and said, David, walk before me all his days, a man after my own heart. What a thing that is. And yet when we come to 1 Chronicles 22, it really is an amazing chapter because, because while we look at David and watch him go into grave sin, and, and it wasn't the only account, by the way, we, we come to the last chapter virtually of his life, and it really is an amazing story. Because, you know, most people would quietly go off into the sunset, but not David. David had a burden, and David had a heart, and you know the story. He, he goes to God's man, Nathan the prophet, and said, and it's always dangerous when preachers say that this, by the way, I've got this great idea. When the ministers get an idea, it's really going to be a problem. We really don't need more of my ideas, but we do need God's word. But you know, the ministers get their idea, and it was a great day, I suppose, as, as David, Nathan, David says to Nathan, I've got this great idea. Why don't we just build a, a magnificent temple under the Lord? After all, he is worthy and he is great. And, and it was such a great idea that Nathan the prophet said, well, I didn't even have to pray about this. We didn't even have to ask the Lord about this. Go do it, David. Obviously, this must be the will of God. And it truly is an incredibly embarrassing moment for Nathan, who otherwise had a stellar testimony in the word of God. But the Lord had to come to Nathan in the middle of the night saying, hey, you're supposed to preach my word, not yours. What do you think you're doing? And he said, I don't want David to build my house. David's been a man of war. And you know, I believe if I were David back then, I would said, well, okay, and no reason to get angry or embittered or, or no reason to have an attitude, but, but you know, David could have shrugged his shoulders and said, well, I tried, and, and I get that, and I understand the Lord's thinking, and, and he wants a man of peace, not a man of war to build his house, and, and you know, David pretty much could have gone to the French Riviera for the rest of his life and relaxed and gone on vacation, but he didn't. You know what he did? It's in 1 Chronicles 22. He just started collecting materials for the house of God. I mean, you read about it in verse 7. 
David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars, and shall not build a house under my name. And yet David said, If I can't build this house unto the Lord, if it's my, my boy that's going to build it, then, Lord, can I just gather materials? And instead of uh, pulling out a lollipop and sticking his thumb in his mouth and having a pity party, David says, Then if I can't build the house, I'll build materials like nobody else and it really is impressive and David says this isn't going to be cheap and this isn't going to be second best he gathers the best materials from the best places around the world and there's a reason that he did it if you're able physically tonight could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to first chronicles chapter 22 and verse number one the Bible says, then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees of abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre, they brought much cedar wood to David and David said to Solomon David said Solomon my son is young and tender and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent what a word magnificent Father in heaven, we ask your blessing upon the word of God to our hearts. I pray you to help Berean Baptist Church tonight. Lord, would you help us stop and just to remember the great work of our God indeed is a magnificent work. We ask if someone in this room is not saved, they would come to a wonderful Savior. What a grand night to be born into your family. We ask you to do the work a preacher can do now. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, we come. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. What a stunning word this is, the word magnifical. I got to tell you, when I, when I read this word not too many months ago, I, I kind of shook my head. And, and for all the times, I guess I've read it and never really read it, I suppose, I, I didn't even know there was such a word magnifical. I didn't even know there was. But nope, sure enough, out comes the dictionary. And, and by the way, if you're using uh, studying your King James Bible, probably the best book you can get to help you understand the King James Bible is the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Now, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is if you go to Amazon to buy it, it's probably pushing $100. However, the good news is there's this guy named Mr. Google, or sometimes Miss Google, and they have it for free. So it's a beautiful thing one way or the other. But my, the 1828 Webster's Dictionary is a, a profound help when it comes to understanding our Bible. And sure enough, a word that I never heard, a word that I didn't even know existed, a word that is found in this verse and never again in our English Bible what do you know the Word of God or, or the Webster's Dictionary tells us there is a definition. The word magnifical means to be grand. It means to be splendid. It means to be illustrious. And why that certainly is the grand description for the work of God. And that's why David says, I'm going to prepare like nobody else. That's why David said, I can't go and retire up to the Riviera. That's why David said, if the Lord won't let me build the house, well, then I'll get the materials together for the house. Because David had something that 
that was settled deep in his soul. David had a love and a passion for the work of God. Maybe it all started as a shepherd boy when he looked into the skies and said, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And yet David's love for the Lord and David's love for the work of God, I, his love for the beauty of God could only cause him to shake his head and say the work of God is magnificent. And you know, sometimes we get bogged down, don't we, even in our local churches. I mean, sometimes there's a burden. Of course there is. Anytime you work with people, there's going to be a burden. And maybe in a Sunday school class, a teacher gets frustrated. Why don't these children get it like they should? Maybe somebody working on a Sunday school bus route. Boy, that's a, a very frustrating ministry, isn't it? And week after week after week, and, and it seems like two steps forward and three steps back. And, and you know, sometimes even in the work of the ministry as a preacher, you can get bogged down in the burdens, but you forget. You forget to stop sometimes and do nothing but remind yourself and let the Word of God remind us that this work of our Savior, it's magnifical. That what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, and then the work of the New Testament church that He left behind, it is so beautiful, it is so grand, it is so illustrious. In a word, well, it's just magnifical. And that's why David said, I may be a 75-year-old man and pretty soon I may suck my last breath. It may be the last story that is ever written about me in the Bible comes on the heels of some pretty embarrassing stuff, some pretty shameful events. But David to his dying day says, for all the failures in my life and for all the times I have let down my king, for all the things I've done to embarrass his holy name, why if I have one more chance with my dying breath, let me me exalt my Savior. Let me exalt his work. And with a smile on his face, we listen to David as he said, why, it's magnifical. The work of my Savior is still a magnifical work. So let me invite you to take your Bible tonight, and if you would, from our precious Word of God, let me give you five lessons about the magnificent work of our God. Would you notice, number one, it's magnificent because it is God's house. That's what we get emphasized right there in verse number one. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. David is standing on top of what we know earlier in the Bible as Mount Moriah. At very same place, you remember the story, of course, where Abraham was ready to drive a knife right through the heart of his son Isaac. That very same place where God didn't do it once, but God did it twice when the wrath of God collided with the mercy of God. What a special place is Mount Moriah. And now standing on top of Mount Moriah, David said, I have not only purchased the threshing floor, the rock on the top of the mountain, David said, I purchased the entire mountain. And this, we know it is the temple, Mountain Jerusalem tonight. David said, This is the place where the house of God is going to be built. Now, I understand that religion calls it Solomon's temple, but the Bible never calls it that. Not one time in all the Bible is it ever called Solomon's temple. Nine times in this chapter alone, it is called not Solomon's house, it is called the Lord's house. There is one time, just one time in the Bible, where the temple is referred to as the temple that Solomon built. But it is never called Solomon's temple. I don't know where religion got that from, but what I do know is what my Bible says. That's not Solomon's house, that's not David's house, 
That is the house of the Lord God. And you know, that's such a special title, isn't it, in the Bible, the house of the Lord. I, earlier in the Old Testament, it wasn't just the temple that Solomon built that was called the house of God. Earlier, the house of God was called that tabernacle that they would carry through the wilderness. So early in the Old Testament with Moses, he would point at the tabernacle, the, the portable house of worship, and say, this is the house of God. Now Solomon and those who followed him would walk into one of the grandest buildings ever built on this earth and in amazement they would say this is the house of God. So the first half of the Old Testament we have the house of God, the tabernacle. The back half of the Old Testament we have the house of God, the temple. So where's the house of God tonight? 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. My friend, what was the house of God early in the Old Testament, the tabernacle? God said now the house of God where God's presence is the temple. In New Testament times, it is the New Testament church, the assembly of God's people. That is the house of God. My friend, do you know what that means? That means that if the tabernacle was magnificent, and if the temple is magnificent, it means that Berean Baptist Church is magnificent as well. This is the place of God's presence, the place of God's blessing. It is what God has chosen to do His work. No, 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 not the ceiling, not the floor, not this pulpit, not the beautiful building that you have built here by the grace of God for a church is not a building that's why when I read a chapter like this I find how David took great care to say no sir this is not about a building this is about the God of the building you know, in the early days of America, Baptist preachers were extremely careful about this. And, and to be honest, maybe we're not as careful as we should be. But Baptist preachers in the early days of America, they would point at a building like this one, and they were careful to say, that is the building that houses Berean Baptist Church. That is the building that houses First Baptist Church. That is the building that houses a church. They were very careful to do that because you know most of your family, most of your neighbors. They're going to drive down the street and see a building with a steeple on it and say, well, there's a church. No, there is a building that may perhaps house a church, but a building is not a church. My Most High God does not dwell in a building made with hands. A church is an assembly of people, not a building. And in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us David went out of his way to say, this is not Solomon's temple, this is the house of the Lord God. My friend, Berean Baptist Church is not a building of brick. Berean Baptist Church is not a house of stone. Berean Baptist Church is an assembly of people. And as such, it is magnificent. It's magnificent, number one, because it's the house of God. But notice, number two, the work of God is magnificent, and it's magnificent work that takes abundance. It's a word you keep reading in 1 Chronicles 22. Verse number 5, it says, David prepared abundantly before his death. Now, seven times in this chapter, as David gathers the materials together for the house of God, the Bible says he is going to do it with abundance. Seven times. Ah, that's an incredible amount of times to read the same word in one chapter. Let me give you the laundry list. In verse number two, David said there will be abundant workers. David went to foreigners. He went to the greatest workers in the world and said this house of God is not going to be built by poor workmanship. It 
There was abundant workers, the best in the world. Verse number three, David brought abundant iron. You know, in those days, iron was incredibly rare and valuable. It was just beginning to come in as a building material. David said, we're going to use it for the nails and for the brackets. Nope, it's only going to be the best in the world. In verse number three, the Bible says there was abundant brass. It says it was in abundance without weight. You couldn't even tell how much brass David brought in. Why, there were abundant workers. There's abundant brass. There's abundant iron. In verse number four, there are abundance of cedar trees. It tells us it came from the foreign nations of Tyre and Zidon, the best in the world. You go to verse number 14 and there was abundant gold. Why, the word of God tells us there were a 100,000 talents of gold. And I know sometimes measurements in the Bible can really throw us for a loop. Well, well, 100,000 talents of gold with a talent being 75 pounds. Well, as of a few weeks ago now, 100,000 talents of gold would be worth, give or take a few cents, about $180B billion. I got to tell you, it was an incredible thing that was there. I mean, there was gold like you couldn't imagine. And if that weren't enough, there was abundant silver. In verse 14, there was a million talents of silver. Comes out to about, give or take a bit, $21B billion worth of silver. And then in verse number 14, there was abundant stone. Hi, friend, you start watching David as he gathers. There is silver and gold and brass. The Bible says the finest hewers in the world will work with the greatest stone and tile. Hi, the word of God tells us that, that from what was used for the nails and the hinges, everything about this magnificent temple was going to be done correctly. It was going to be done properly. And the Bible tells us David gathered in abundance. You know, there's such an abundance that when the liberal seminary professor comes to 1 Chronicles 22, they are forced to make this conclusion. Obviously, obviously they say these verses are an exaggeration. Well, I understand why some hell-bound pagan liberal seminary professor would say that God's exaggerating because they don't get it. But you know, you get it tonight, and I get it tonight, and the reason that David loaded up the silver and loaded up the gold, the reason that he had the greatest workers and the greatest trees in the world, the reason that second best would not do was because David understood what the liberal cemetery professors don't get. He understood that the work of God was absolutely magnifical. If it's magnifical, it is worth giving abundant. Notice, if you would, in verse number 15, moreover, these are, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work, of the gold, the silver, and the brass and the iron. It was so abundant, the Bible says there is no number. You know, when it comes to giving to the work of God, how are we ever going to outgive our Savior? I mean, when it comes to giving to help a missionary go plant a local church somewhere in Washington, how, how are we going to outgive God? When, when it comes to sending somebody who's willing to give their life and, and go to the jungles in South America, why? Uh, go to some major European city. When somebody's willing to give their life to go where others won't go, I mean, how can we help but not say, let me give abundantly? How can we ever decide to get cheap with the Lord? My friend, my Savior gave his all. Though he was rich, yet for my sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich for all that Jesus Christ did 
at Calvary for the mighty price the Son of God paid. Well, David well could look at his Savior and say, He loves me so. He loves me so. How can I do anything less than give abundantly? How can I get cheap when it comes to giving to my Savior? The Bible tells us the work of God is magnifical. For that reason, David said, Enough is not enough. We're going to do far exceeding above what any human could imagine. And my, by the time you were done, David's storehouses were so full of brass and silver and gold with the finest trees, the greatest workmen in the world were making their way to Jerusalem. Of course they were, because the work of God, it's magnificent. Notice number three, a magnificent work is nothing without obedience to the Bible. My David, I suppose, knew this better than anybody else, didn't he? And so he gathers his boy Solomon in verse number 11. And, and you can just imagine the setting now. Solomon is chosen to be the king. David's about ready to go home to his savior. The storehouses are full of silver and gold. Mike has never been collected before or since in world history. And now he has a charge in verse 11. My son, the Lord Lord be with thee and prosper thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God as he hath said of thee. Solomon, God wants you to build this magnificent house. Solomon, you're the one God has chosen to do the work, but notice the warning now. In verse 12, only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. One more time, we are reminded in the word of God that if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments. My, it's a great balance, isn't it? Because sometimes we can convince ourselves what David well could have convinced himself of, what Solomon could have believed. Well, if I get all the silver and if I get all the gold and if I do all this great work and we give an abundance and then we give an abundance on top of that, isn't that all it's going to take? And yet giving all the gifts that a human could give, if it's not combined with an obedient love for the word of God, it's useless. Because the Great Commission didn't say give ye, it said go ye. I'm quite certain there's a lot of Christians that sit back and say, well, I'm too busy with my life, too busy with my business. So if 10% is what it takes to get the Lord off my back, I can live with that. And, and on top of that, if there's just a little tip and a little extra that, that helps some wonderful missionary family go around the world, I, I can certainly do something with that. But you know, giving without obedience, it's not gonna get anything done. Oh, it, it may fill the coffers, it may pay some bills, but the Lord is not looking for somebody who gives their money and won't give their life. Repeatedly in the Bible, the charge that David gives to Solomon is the charge that God gives to you and me. And when David looks in the eyes of his son and says, Solomon, God wants you to build this house, but you can build the greatest building in world history. You can have gold and silver glinting everywhere. Solomon, you can build magnificent house with great pillars. Uh, you can build a, a wonder of the ancient world. Solomon, you can build the greatest building, the world has ever known but if you don't obey the word of God it's all coming to naught and you know the sad story is it all did come to naught didn't it there was a beautiful house but by the time Solomon was ready to go meet his savior the word of God tells us that he had hundreds and hundreds of wives and spare wives there were idols and and why there was a magnificent temple to Jehovah God in Jerusalem but there were also houses to pagan idols across the land none of that matters no matter how much gold gold is glinting no matter how much beautiful silver fills the place no matter what it looks like no matter how glorious it stands no matter if it's on the highest 
spot in the city of Jerusalem. All of that means nothing, Solomon, if you're not going to obey the word of God. And you and I are reminded in 1 John 2 and verse number 3, hereby we do know that we know him, not if we give a faith promise offering, but the Bible says if we keep his commandments. 1 John 5 and verse number 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, not when we go and do some external work, but when we love God and keep his commandments. My friend, we need to be reminded it is not the check that we give, it is not the gift that we bring, but it is the life a testimony that gives itself to obeying the word of God. That is the absolute best way for David, for Solomon, for you and for me to show a world that he is magnificent. It's not about building some grand cathedral. It's not about stained glass windows and magnificent artwork. It's not about building some grand site and some beautiful place in some great European city. It is not about building a tourist site, but it is about people who have invested their daily life and saying, I serve the one that I love. That's how Solomon's going to tell his world. That's how you and I are going to show our world that we have a magnificent God and King. He is a magnificent Savior. Notice number four, a magnificent work is born out of trouble. In verse number 14, David said, Now behold, in, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, you would think David would say, no, sir, out of my rich bank account, that's where I got this from. And I guess you'd have to say, and certainly David at the end of his kingdom had to be the wealthiest man perhaps in the whole world. And David could say, there is nothing too small. There's nothing I can't get. And yet David didn't come to his dying breath and say, this is what I have done. This is the result of my great work. This is the result of my great name. Hey, David has to humbly bow his head and say, son, all the silver and all the gold came out of all my troubles. You know, it almost seems like David comes to the end of his life and, and, and here may be one of those reasons why when it's all said and done, God says, I still love David. And that David, why to the end of his life, he's still a man after my own heart because for all the stories with Bathsheba and, and for all of the numbering of the kingdom and, and all the pride that seems to fill David's heart at certain spots as he's king. No, when it comes to his dying days, David says, my life has been full of trouble. I've done so many disgraceful, shameful things, but you you know, all the gifts that I bring and all the work that I labor to do. It is not because I think the Lord is lucky to have me. It is because David says, I'm amazed he hasn't destroyed me for all the trouble that I have made. You know, somebody in this building tonight, you may have a story that comes out of a lot of trouble. The truth is, all of us do whether we realize it or not. But the truth is, somebody in this place may shake their head and say, you know, preacher, I'm so glad the Lord saved me. And if I were to stand up and if you even knew my story tonight, if you knew where I came from, if you knew how dirty I was, if you knew the sins that I had committed, only the Lord knows. And, and somebody, maybe even in this room tonight, would say my testimony is such a story of disgrace and shame and embarrassment. And, and I don't even like to give my testimony. Outside of the fact I love to praise the Lord that saved me, I, I, I just don't, don't like to remember where I came from. 
Maybe for somebody here tonight, you've got a story of a lot of trouble. And now with all your heart and with all your passion, you say, I'm trying to live for the one who saved me. One day he pulled me out of the pit of sin. One day he took me out of the sewage, the raw sewage of wickedness. One day he set my feet on the rock. And one day he established my goings and he gave me a path to walk. And you can say, just like David, just like David, out of all my troubles, he has saved me. Out of all my troubles, he has shown me the path to go. If he he could love me enough to pull me out of the sewage of sin, set my feet on the rock and establish my goings, then I can prepare abundantly for him. He is worth my best, seeing as that he gave me his best. David didn't stand up and say, I'm such a great mighty guy. That's why all the riches are here. David bows his head and says, Solomon, all that silver and all that gold is the story of the grace of God. What he can do with somebody who is a troublemaker like me. Out of all my trouble, David said, I have prepared abundantly for the work of God. What a magnificent testimony. What a magnificent offering. What a magnificent story. How the Lord can take the barest of sinners, the worst of men. How the Lord can take somebody whose life is nothing but shame and disgrace. How the Lord can take somebody who's a very religious sinner, growing up perhaps in a church like Berean Baptist Church, save their soul, give them the gift of eternal life, and make their life count. No, sir, when the Lord does the work through you or the Lord does the work through somebody like me. Hey, the Lord has reached down and he has scooped the bottom of the barrel now. I, the Lord's taken somebody's got no business preaching. Somebody that's got no business serving the Lord. It's the reason in Luke 17, 10, God says, likewise ye, David, likewise ye, Berean Baptist Church, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which is our duty to do. An unprofitable nobody like me. And if the Lord says, I want you to preach, who am I to say no? An unprofitable nobody like Brother Reno. If the Lord's willing to say, I'll take a guy from Wisconsin. I'll set him on a plane, send him out to Washington and use him to do a work for me. I'll tell you, Brother Reno, he gets it. I, I got the idea. If the Lord's going to use me, he's not going to have to ring the doorbell twice. You know, He's not going to have to send a second text message. Hey, Lord, if you're willing to use a nobody like me, how could I? possibly say no for all the trouble and all the sin for all of our story that the Lord would use somebody like David again that the Lord would give a chance to somebody like me to serve the Lord David could shake his head in amazement at the end of my life I am stunned that God hasn't killed me yet he is in all my trouble letting me do something for him of course he is it's what makes the work of God magnificent Notice number five, a magnificent work is the right response to grace. And, and maybe it wraps up the whole story best in verse 17, where David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Why, David gathers the princes. Later, he would gather the whole nation and pretty much give the same message to them. He gathers them together and says, Stop, folks. Look at what the Lord has done for us. And you know, sometimes if it's not Thanksgiving week, we don't do that, do we? And yet sometimes it's awfully good to stop and say, The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And you can almost watch David stand before the princes, later before the people. And let's just look at what God has given. Let's watch how God has destroyed our 
our enemies. Let's remember those times where we were down and out and we had nowhere to go and yet God has provided again and again. I, David had more than one, it would appear from the Psalms, more than one extremely serious bout with medical issues and there were times where it seemed like the doctors were pretty much saying there's no hope here, David, and yet the Lord raised him up yet again and why David could think of all those times on the battlefield, you know, that, that, that arrow went right past here when it could have easily gone right here and David thinks about those lonely nights in a cave where if somebody sneezed in the wrong place why one of Saul's mighty soldiers that great army would be descending or ascending that cave and David wouldn't live through the night to tell about it how many times did David escape death how many times did God spare him how many times did God take care of his nation you can almost hear David come to the end of this chapter he's starting to shake his head and he's probably going to start to sing a song like this after all he's done for me after all he's done for me how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me and isn't that the whole thing tonight after all Jesus has done for us after all he's done for our families after all he's done for Berean Baptist Church if all he ever did was so love the world that God gave his only begotten son if all that ever happened was though he was rich yet for your sakes for my sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich if all he ever did was die in an old rugged cross so that our sins could be washed away then for all of eternity we would have to bow our knees and say how wonderful is my Savior how majestic is my Savior how worthy is my Savior but you know that's not all he's done it's every single day he provides for his people it's every day he fills them with heart of hope it is every day that God provides it is every day God defeats the enemy why for every one thing we recognize that he does I, I don't we have to admit tonight there are dozens if not hundreds of things we never even stop to realize and stop to think about if somehow God would roll back the skies and, and right here right here even in this building if we could see the very physical spiritual battle that is being fought and realize how the one who battles for us is so mighty and so powerful we would be so humbled every single hour of every single day again and again and again he meets our need exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think and the truth is if we started our blessings we wouldn't be naming them one by one we'd be naming them ten by ten or a thousand by a thousand we'd have to shake our head at the end of the day and say how great is my savior how wonderful my savior how powerful is my Savior after all that he has done for me how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely because after all he is magnificent a magnificent work is the house of God. A magnificent Savior is Jesus Christ, my Lord. So in verse number 19, David says to the people of Jerusalem, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God. Hi, David stands before the people and says, There's a work that needs to be done. Now roll up your sleeves. David says, number one, set your heart. Number two, he said, seek the Lord. Number three, he said, rise up. And number for he said build the work of God and in first Chronicles chapter 22 he gives us the greatest motivation of all not so that at the end of the chapter there is a beautiful building not so that at the end of the day everybody praises a house that Solomon built not at the end of the day so there's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world oh no no the reason to build such a beautiful glorious place is because our Savior is magnificent. 
There's a reason to serve him tonight. There's a reason to labor for him tonight. There may be somebody at Berean Baptist Church. You need to take a look at verse 19 and do what it says and say, you know, Brother Reno, it's time for me to roll up my sleeves. I've been sitting on the sidelines. If Jesus could die for me, then I can work for him at Berean Baptist Church. Maybe for somebody else starting to get a little weary and well-doing, you know, and hey, a few decades of working a bus route. Maybe there's time for somebody else. You know, a few decades of working in that same Sunday school class. Maybe somebody else can do the job you know there's a lot of times we get discouraged in the work but the greatest reason to keep going well it's because we serve a worthy savior who is magnificent the work is magnificent the savior is magnificent how can we do less than give him our best Tonight, if you don't know this wonderful, magnificent Savior is your own, it's not just enough that Jesus is the Savior. It's not just enough that He is the only Savior. He has to be your personal Savior. It's always the message of the Bible. David could cry out, the Lord is not just the shepherd, He is my shepherd. And tonight, the key is that you know Him as your own Savior. It's the number one first reason the Bible was written, so that somebody like me could know that they have eternal life. Pastor Reno would love to have somebody just sit down with you in a quiet spot tonight and just open up the Bible and, and let you see for yourself how sinners like me can have the gift of God, which is eternal life. It is so beautiful how it's laid out in the Bible, and that's the thing, because humans think, well, a church is going to tell me how to go to heaven. A religion is going to tell me how to go to heaven. But Jesus shakes his head and says, no, it's the Bible that will tell you how to go to heaven. And if you have never had somebody sit down and help you from God's Word to read it for yourself, to see it for yourself. Tonight, Brother Reno would love to have somebody show you from the Bible how you can leave this building knowing that you have the gift of God, which is eternal life. You know Him as your Savior. Hey, let's rise up and build. Let's roll up our sleeves and labor for the Master. There's a lot of reasons to do it, but the best just might be because He is magnificent. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful and thankful for the mighty word of God tonight. And thank you for the day that David stood before Solomon. He stood before the leadership and he stood before the people. And he reminded them there is a magnificent Savior and there's a magnificent work to honor him. I pray that tonight you would remind us in Berean Baptist Church how wonderful and grand our illustrious our Savior is. May you find a people that are about the Master's business, serving Him because they love Him. Now, if someone's never been saved, what a wonderful night to call upon the name of the Lord. I wonder before I finish praying, if there might be someone here tonight that would say, you know, preacher, I, I just don't know how the Bible says a sinner like me can go to heaven. There's nothing to be ashamed about or embarrassed about, but it certainly is something to get settled from God's Word. And I'd love to be able to pray for you tonight. Please don't misunderstand. I have no magic prayer that will ever get anybody into heaven because prayers do not save, Jesus saves. But I would love to be able to pray for you tonight. And then more importantly, Pastor Reno would love to be able to have somebody sit down with a Bible and let you see right from God's Word how you can know that you have eternal life. So in the quietness of this moment, just before I pray, is there somebody here that would say, you know, preacher, I'd like you to pray for me. And I would like Pastor Reno to have somebody show me from the Bible how I can know that I'm going to heaven. We'd love to pray for you. Then we'd love to help you right out of the Bible. Is there somebody tonight like that? Would you just lift your hand? And, and I'll see that hand. I'll pray for you. If you'll let us, we'll help you right out of the Bible tonight. 
to know the wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. Is there somebody like that? Preacher, pray for me. Pastor Reno, I want him to help me from the Bible tonight. Somebody like that. 